We're going to continue our series on our mission, which is to encounter Christ, to experience community, and to extend the kingdom. We've already talked about what it meant to encounter Christ, what it means to experience community, and today we're going to talk about extending the kingdom, looking at a relationally tense environment and seeing how Jesus approached it and overcame it. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John. We're going to look starting at verse 3 and reading through a large portion of Scripture all the way through verse 30. John chapter 4, verse 3 through verse 30. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He left Judea and went down into Galilee. And he had, when he had passed through Samaria, he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman from Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her in verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all this way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have answered correctly, saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said in verse 19 to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he'll declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, the disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, verse 29, Come, see a man who told me all things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. 
Lord, help us as we study. I'll give you some background. The Samaritans and the Jews didn't like one another. They had a long-standing history. Let me tell you who the Samaritans were. During the reign of the first king, Saul, you had a united kingdom called Israel. The second king was David, still a united kingdom. The third kingdom was Solomon. The third king was Solomon, still a united kingdom. The fourth king was Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. In Rehoboam's day, the kingdom split. You had a northern kingdom developed to the north that was comprised of ten tribes, twelve tribes of Israel, ten of them were in the north. And a southern kingdom comprised of two tribes, Levi and Judah. There was some intermingling, but for the most part, that's the way it was split up. The northern kingdom did everything they possibly could to stop people from migrating to the south. Why? Because the south was the place where you had the temple, and that's where prescribed worship was. Couldn't worship anyplace else. Couldn't sacrifice anyplace else. So if you were a Jew, the only place where you could really worship was in Jerusalem. But the northern kingdom didn't want people coming down to the southern kingdom, so they developed their own form of worship built a golden calf, different altars, and for the most part practiced idolatry. The northern kingdom was pretty messed up. Now, the southern kingdom wasn't a whole lot better, but it was better. The northern kingdom never had one good king, not one. All the commentaries say, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. The only one that was possibly, you could infer, maybe might be somewhat good, was Jehu. And the only reason it commends Jehu, the scriptures is that he wiped out some bad kings. Some of the guys who needed to be wiped out and their companions and their sons. It was a mess. I mean, this was the northern kingdom, just a wreck spiritually. So bad was it that after about 200 years, God said, y'all got to go. You got to go. So he came and brought a nation named Assyria to the northern kingdom, vanquished them, beat them up real bad, and scattered most of the people in the northern kingdom to the four winds. So they were all over the earth. They did leave a remnant in the land. They did that so that they could cultivate the land and so the wild beasts wouldn't take over and then weeds would just grow up in profitable agricultural territory. They also brought in some of their own people, Assyrians, and those Assyrians intermingled with the Jewish people. They intermingled in marriage, they intermingled in culture, and in religion. And so you had this... this amalgam of life, this smorgasbord of spirituality called the Samaritans that were kind of not pure about anything. They related to their patriarchs as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't identify with the patriarchs from Assyria, but they also had some of the Assyrian practices, and they were a little bit idolatrous, and they just had it all mixed up. So they just weren't as right as they ought to be. Well, the southern kingdom which comprised most of the purely Jewish people, looked at the Samaritans as almost being worse than the Gentiles, which were us. At least the Gentiles, us, we were ignorant. The things we were doing was only because we knew it's the only thing we could do. But the Samaritans had some heritage in this Old Testament, and they intentionally rejected it. And so the Jews looked at the, at the, at the Samaritans as being really at the bottom of the socioeconomic and, and cultural ladder. They did not like them at all. Now, the Samaritans returned the favor. They didn't like the Jews either. The disdain was mutual. And so the, the rule was this. If you were starving, you would not take a morsel that was handed to you from a Samaritan. 
If you were dying of thirst in the desert, you wouldn't drink a, a drop of water from a Samaritan cup. If a Samaritan offered you something on a plate, you were required to throw it away and break the plate. This is the way the Jews thought of the Samaritans. Unclean, dirty, filthy people that did not need to be associated with. And again, the Samaritans returned the favor. Didn't like one another at all. Yet Jesus traveled through Samaria to get to Jerusalem when he was in his home near the Galilee area. And then traveled back through Samaria from Jerusalem back home because that was probably the most favored route and you could find lodging there. But there was a time when he was going down from, from Galilee to Jerusalem to one of the feasts. And he stopped off in Samaria and he asked his disciples, go in and see if you can find us a place to stay. And the Samaritans asked the disciples, where's your master going? Jesus said, or the disciples said of Jesus, Jerusalem. The Samaritan said, he can't stay here. Simply because he was on the way to a city they didn't like. That's, that's how rancor the tenor was between these two groups of people. And then James and John chimed in, in the spirit of vengeance. And, and, and payback and said, would you like us, Jesus, to call down fire from heaven on these people? I mean, my goodness. You know, Jesus could have said a lot of things at that moment. He said it like this. You don't know what spirit you're of, meaning you're out of your mind. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? I mean, even my father said eye for eye because they didn't give us a bed. You want to kill them? You want to kill them? What is wrong with you? Messed up they were in their head. Didn't have anything right. So this was the relationship, not just socio, sociologically between two people groups, Jesus had a reason not to like them because they did not offer him hospitality. And not offering somebody hospitality was one of the worst things you could do to offend somebody. Worst in the Middle East. Yet, Jesus loved the Samaritans. He was trying to figure out, how can I get to these people? I, got to, I, got, I pass through there all the time. I just can't act like I'm, I'm using them for my benefit. God has obviously put them in my path. I've got to reach them. You have any Samaritans? in your world that you just go through constantly you are always headed that direction and yet you've never looked at it as an opportunity to touch them this is what we are called to do when we speak about extending the kingdom figure out a way to touch people that we normally are around all the time you don't have to go to to, to nairobi I mean, we have orphans in, in Nairobi and, and South Africa and India. Go there, please. I mean, you believe, missions are good. But you don't have to go there to extend the kingdom. You can do it where you are. Jesus just said, I'm going here, so I need to reach these people. But these people don't want to be reached by me. So how can I get them? And he was trying to figure it out, strategize. There was some way he could touch the Samaritans. Finally, he figured it out. I said, I'm going to sit here at this well. I'm going to sit here at this well and see what happens. Let's see what happens. Now, this was, this was Jacob's well. Jacob dug this 1,900 years ago from this point. 1,900 years. That well had been flowing for two millennia. And I think Jesus gives a beautiful juxtaposition between the natural and the spiritual, the temporal and the eternal. It's not either or. It's both and. We need the wells to be dug temporarily, from which people can drink for a really long time. We need them. 
Husbands, wives, you need to dig deep in your marriage and find wells, find water that your great-grandchildren will be able to drink from. That they'll tell stories. You'll become legends of how much you loved one another. And they'll say, wait a minute. I got a heritage here. It's not just from mom and dad. I didn't figure this out by watching a movie. Hollywood didn't inform me. I heard stories about great-grandma and great-grandpa. There are pictures, there are videos that show how much. They, the fidelity is phenomenal. They were amazing. I'm a part of that lineage, and I'm drinking from that well. God loves the church. He invented the idea. And the church will go on till he comes back. But congregations will come and go. There are churches that were around 50 years ago that ain't around no more. The churches that are in the Bible don't exist anymore. You can't find the church at Ephesus. Doesn't exist. And God gave the church at Ephesus warning. Hello. That's what the book of Revelation in the first three chapters is about. He wrote to the church at Ephesus and said, if you don't change this, I'm going to have to remove the authority for you to have a congregation there. It won't be the devil fighting against you. I'll take your authority. So congregations live and then congregations die, though the church will be forever until he returns. And then we'll fellowship with him in a different kind of wineskin than we presently have. But we're not trying to build a one-generation congregation here. We're trying to build something long-term. We're digging down deep so that this congregation is not built just on a Sunday morning. Are you listening to me? Now, we do our best to try to build excellence in what we do so that when people come and see, it's worth it. When you come in here, you get something you can take home with you. We want to produce excellence in this hour. But if this is the only hour you are connecting with us, you are living in spiritual mediocrity. Church happens on Tuesday when we don't meet. You have the vision and mission and values of this house. And when they are down on the inside of you, you are taking those and living them throughout the community. As we talk about relationships, you're still doing church on Wednesday. You're praying for one another, getting on the phone, confessing your flaws, helping somebody else in their weakness, supporting, serving. You're working all the time because church is just not an hour at 1245 to 145. So we're building for the long haul. If we build like that, if we build with church 724, then maybe 150 years from now, somebody will be still preaching the same values and message, trying to reach reach a city that we're preaching today. Are you listening? Now, if it's just built on Sunday morning, when I'm gone, you'll be gone. Well, I know some of y'all. I know. You call on Thursday to church. Pastor Brett preaching this week. I know. Yeah, my staff tells me. Pastor Brett preaching this week. And on, the, on, that, on that information, you decide whether you're coming or not. I know. We're trying to build much deeper than that. Relational integrity, honesty, purity. Trying to make sure that something counts about us and we can shout about our relationship with Jesus on Thursday, not just Sunday. And we are so tied with one another that our root systems intertwine. 
And when somebody leaves, it's always painful. It should never not affect you. It should always affect you. Somebody departs, you feel the tear on the inside. And so much so that you feel like you're pulling them back. We want the relational and temporal wells to be dug deep so that they last for generations. Yet, we also need to make sure that we are drinking deeply from the wells that only God can provide. I cannot provide eternal wells. I can point you to them, but he's the only one that can fill your pot. I can't do it. I can talk. I can give you words. You can listen. You can understand. But Jesus himself has to fill your pot. The Holy Ghost has to come and make sure that his living water is put on the inside of you. Because I don't, it, it doesn't originate with me. I'm drinking like you. Are you listening? Jesus says <clears throat> to this woman when she comes up, he's sitting at this well waiting. He says, give me a drink. Now, here, here's a great strategy. Remember, he's trying to reach the Samaritans. Maybe, maybe you ought to sit at the wells of occupation and just wait. Maybe you ought to sit at the wells of entertainment and just wait. Every week, my 12-year-old plays basketball, and I'm in a gym watching my 12-year-old go up and down the court. And I'm doing my fatherly duty, being faithful, watching my boy cheering on, go, Grant, go, Grant, go, Grant. Take him there, watch, go home. I could say I've been a good dad. But there are people with whom I intersect, parents every week, that do the same thing at the same time I do because my son has nine other members on the basketball team. Do you think God might have put me with them for more reasons than just for us to individually cheer, with, cheer for our sons? My point is, there are wells all over the place that you are just drinking from all by yourself. You're not even noticing that he's bringing people around you. Your occupational well, where you work. You, you, you might be saying, Lord, how can I reach my employment? Well, reach one. Reach one and watch what God might do. Just watch. Jesus sits there, says, give me a drink. Now, remember, Jews and Samaritans didn't talk to one another. Jesus breaks cultural norms. Doesn't have a problem with it because it's about the only way sometimes he can get to people. He breaks another cultural norm, not just Jew and, and, and Samaritan, male and female. Men did not talk to women in public. You talk to their husband. You talk to their daddy. You talk to their brother. The only way you talk to a woman in public is if she was your relative, your wife, your mama, your sister, your grandmama, cousin. You didn't talk to a stranger in public. That just was not done. So Jesus is breaking the Jew-Samaritan Jew thing, and he's breaking the male-female thing. But he did that kind of stuff all the time. I mean, he was accused of hanging around with tax gatherers and sinners. He hung out at wells nobody else would. He hung out with people in the midst of their sin. And by the way, he's still doing that. When you're sleeping around, he's in the bedroom. Oh, that's uncomfortable even. That's uncomfortable even to say. Just, ah, pastor, take that back. Believe me, I want to, but he's right there. When you, when you, when you just, when you can high on the weed, he's right in the room with you. Not affected by secondhand smoke at all. Right there with you. Why? Because he can't get to you any other way. 
He was accused of hanging out with tax gatherers and sinners. Why are you doing that, Jesus? You're supposed to be holy and right. Hang out with us ministers. He said, listen to me. The sick need doctors, not the well. They're not coming to you. I got to go to them. That's the only way he got us. He was trying to reach Samaria. Can I have a drink? The woman notices that he's breaking cultural norms. She said, wait, 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 wait. Now, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. We ain't supposed to be even doing this. I'm a woman, too. You have really messed up here. Why in the world are you talking to me about this? You're not supposed to drink from a cup that I give you. And I'm a woman, and you're talking to me. Now, remember, in order to really get the sense of this moment, you have to take all the religious garb off Jesus and look at it through her eyes. Only look at it through her eyes because then it will impact you as to the conversation. Here's a woman in public looking at a man in public and the man begins a conversation with a woman in public that he does not know. Ladies, help me. What do you do when that happens? (laughs) Yeah, you're starting to feel me now. This is how this woman's thinking. Now, and Jesus knows, and you know now because you've read the rest of the story, that she is relationally challenged. Five husbands and shacking up with number six. Man number six you're not married to. And so she's looking at Jesus probably since he broke all these barriers. She doesn't know he's a rabbi. She doesn't know he's religious. She doesn't know he's a preacher. She's looking at Jesus as being number seven. (laughs) She has no idea. Why would a man talk to her? Why? She had no clue what's about to happen. So she's sitting there. How is it that you being a Jew asked me to smell for a drink? What you up to? <laughs> well, if, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me, and I'd give you living water. Oh. Well, tell me about some of this living water. Now, now you're going to have to help me because you don't even have a bucket. You don't have a bucket. How are you going to get this water and give it to me? The well's deep. So she's trying to talk in his metaphoric language, thinking that he's talking about something he ain't talking about. She says, he says, well... The water I will give you is unlike the water you get from here. It will refresh you, and you got to keep coming back here, but the water I'm going to give you will be that which springs up to eternal life. It will quench your thirst forever. And she, following the metaphor, thinking that Jesus is hitting on her, says, give me some of that water, baby. (laughs) She says, give me some of that water so I will not come back here to draw. And Jesus understanding that she is where she is, but he knows where he's going, then flips the script. So he's waiting at this well. Jesus sees this woman come up. He then flips the script and says, go get your husband. To which she... I'm not, I don't... I don't have a husband. What she's saying is, I'm available. 
what kind of woman is living with a dude right down the street? Right down the street. And says to a prospective stranger, I ain't got nobody. <laughs> Not even she has a boyfriend. Doesn't even acknowledge a dude. I ain't got no husband. To which Jesus just lays it all out. He says, uh, yeah, I know. Listen, you've had five, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. All of a sudden, she says, you a preacher, ain't you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she realizes I've been had. I've been had. You a prophet, man. I thought we were going someplace and you ain't going there. I perceive you're a prophet. Well, since you're a prophet, let me ask you a question. You know, as soon as you start getting spiritual with people, they bring out the one question to make them seem like they're on the same page with you. And it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with salvation. They're not asking about what do I need to do to get right. They want to know, what do you think about that minister that took a picture of himself in the mirror? What do you think about Jimmy Swagger? What do you think about Jim Baker? What do you think, what do you think, what do you think? If God loves people so much, why he let this happen? All these questions. And there's nothing new under the sun, y'all. Nothing new. Answers are real easy to all that stuff if you just sit and meditate for a minute. Jesus said, the issue is not where, because she said, we worship in the mountain, you worship in Jerusalem, which one is right? Jesus said, the issue is not where, the issue is how. Now, most of us, because we have pet sins that we consider to be really bad, when we had the information that she was shacking up with a fella, first thing we would have said is, you need to move out now. Now, right now, go back, leave your bucket here, go back and move out. You need to repent, get right with God right now. But Jesus wasn't trying to lop off a branch. He was trying to get the root. He wasn't just trying to change behavior. He was trying to change the heart. He cared about this lady, cared deeply, and he cared about Samaria. So he was trying to figure out, how can I get the Samaritan? He says to her, yeah, you don't. <clears throat> you don't have a husband. You, you got, you're living with a guy. But I want you to know this, that the Father wants worshipers, and he's looking for people who will worship in spirit and truth. And, and you almost get the sense that as Jesus is talking about a theological point, that it's not where we worship but how we worship, that we worship in spirit and truth, that the very last thing he says to her with this point is the father eagerly seeks people who will worship him like this and you get the sense that she is one of the ones he is seeking that Jesus is trying to open up possibilities to her that everybody listen to me every man had rejected her whether she had been the primary person to say it's over or whether the guy had divorced her who knows but they weren't together 
And nobody has continued to try to pursue her. And she is so jaded on relationships now. She says marriage isn't important. I don't want the commitment. I don't want the rejection. All I want is a warm body. And if it's time for him to go, he can get up and leave. Jesus was the only one who knew her well and still accepted her. Jesus is amazing. Because he, he accepts us. And he knows us well. He's amazing. And he gives her an opportunity. The Father seeks after people. It's almost as if he's saying he's seeking after you. Because in that moment, you see something in her change. But you don't notice it until she says the next phrase, which is, well, we've been told the Messiah is coming. And um, he's, he's going to, like, tell us all things, right? And there's this hunger it's not just an inquiry for information's sake. There's a hunger down here. It says, he's not just going to inform me about where best to worship. He's going to tell me about everything that's right, right? He's going to help me, right? Most unreligious people don't know how to ask the perfect question. You have to hear what they're not saying. You have to hear what's behind their inquiry. She wasn't asking a theological point then. She was saying, is there anybody who can help me? Is there anybody? When Messiah comes, is it going to help me? Is he going to answer the major questions in my life? Because Jesus does something he had not done with anybody in the very next phrase. Now, I want you to see this. He only confirmed his identity when people asked him. Or maybe they had ideas about who he was. When, when Peter got the information about he was the Christ, the son of the living God in Matthew 16, he said, you got it. Great. When, when, when uh, Pontius Pilate was asking Jesus, saying, are you the son of God? Are you king? He says, it is as you say. But this is the first time that Jesus is about to make himself known without anybody asking. Because this woman's heart has become so pliable. And she wants help. When Messiah comes, he'll explain everything, right? He volunteers. He says, I who speak to you am he. You can almost feel the wind change in the moment. And since the woman began to shake, she gets so nervous and excited, she leaves her water pot. She came to get water. She came to get water. She left the water pot, ran back into the city. She left that for which she came. She was so excited about this moment. Somebody cared for her. Somebody reached out to her. And Jesus was using this as an opportunity not just to minister to her. I mean, his, his words like an arrow hit the mark, but it went right through the bullseye into the heart of the town. Because when she went back to Samaria, believe me, she was well known. All the lawyers knew this woman. They made a lot of money on this woman. Justice of the peace, peace knew this woman. Everybody knew this woman. Five husbands and shacking up now. Everybody knew. The, you, most women don't live long enough to have five marriages. Everybody knew this woman. She walks back in the city and says, y'all, I, I don't know what to say. There's a dude out there at the well, and he told me everything I have ever done, and he don't know me. I'm telling you, it was amazing. Is it, it, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the, could I, I it, let me tell you what, she was so convincing. 
<laughs> and sometimes the people who are the most wicked and unreligious are, 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 are the ones you believe the most when they get convicted and right. Because you know, that ain't her. <laughs> she ain't been to church in her life. In her life. And she talking about the Messiah? She talking about the Messiah. You, Messiah. Please, girl. Please. What would you know about religious stuff? So when she begins to speak with veracity, they say, oh, we got to check this out. This, this doesn't make any sense. Coming from, we got to check this out. Jesus knew. He understood that when she left her water pot, she had to come back. But she wasn't coming back by herself. It says the entire city came out because Jesus cared about one. If we're going to win an entire city, all you have to do is care about one. That's all you got to do is care about one. This is how we extend the kingdom. We, we reach one. Jesus cared about Samaria, but they wouldn't let him in the front door. He wouldn't let him in. He said, I'm going to get you. Somehow I'm going to get you. It's my hope that God would inspire you to help win this city by reaching the people who you sit with at wells of relationship all the time but don't realize they're thirsty for something more than their son to win a basketball game. Something more than to earn a paycheck. Something more than to have a sense of significance <clears throat> in an important moment as an inauguration or a concert. Something more. Let's pray.